What's going on, everybody? Daryl Freider, the club CEO here, and we have an amazing DJ on the My DJ Story podcast today. Brother, could you introduce yourself and tell the people where you're from? Absolutely. Uh, professional name is Superstar DJ Rose. You can call me Rose. Originally from Brooklyn, New York. 25 years in Atlanta to this point. Awesome, brother. Now, the people don't know this, but we are in a special relationship in regard to the club and Superstar DJ Rose. DJ Rose is actually one of the advisors for the club app. And we're super excited to have you here on this podcast. You have an amazing story about your DJ journey, and we're super excited to hear it on the My DJ Story podcast. So let's jump right into this interview, man. Tell us about, you know, how you got started as a DJ, how you got interested in becoming a DJ, and like at what age did you first start DJing? So really great intro, man. I appreciate that. So I'm a second generation DJ. My my dad was a DJ, DJ until into his 70s until he passed away. And uh, so for me, I started messing around with records probably around the age of nine years old. Um, familiar story, if you've heard Jazzy Jeff talk, kind of a similar situation for me. Saved my lunch money uh, every week to buy a 12 inch. Uh, had a Fisher Price that I started out with, man, and learned to kind of jimmy the knob between radio and platter. So I could, whatever was playing on the radio, I learned to beat match by actually uh, matching it up what was on the, uh, the record. So it, it was an interesting way to start. Now for me, been in clubs since I was 15, um, been everything you can imagine as a DJ, from a radio DJ to a gospel DJ to a roll skating ring DJ, to a wedding DJ, club DJ, tour DJ, uh, mashup DJ, open format DJ, EDM DJ, you name it. Anything that had to do with the culture as, as the culture expanded and evolved, I wanted to be a part of, man. So at this point, I'm just having a good time, literally kind of looking back and looking forward at the same time, you know, taking the the history that I have in this culture and now trying to pass that information on to the next generation. Awesome, brother. No, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, getting into the DJ career is not an easy one. So by you being a second generational DJ, you know, you kind of had guidance and, and kind of a blueprint to get into the business. You know, tell me kind of about that journey. Like, when did you get your first gig? and and how did you go about that? Were you nervous? You know, was was it exciting? Just tell me a little bit about how you got started. <laughs> my first gig story is going to be a lot different than most DJs. So for me, I would bring my, and this tells you how far this goes back. I would bring my 45s and 12 inches to school in fifth grade every day. And this, this, is, this is probably one of my favorite stories. So I would get to school early and um, I would ask the teacher, could I use the, the record player? And I would start playing records but before you knew it. Like all the other kids, like a lot of the other kids started getting to school early. We would have these dance parties before class every day. It was the craziest thing, right? Uh, it got to the point that so many kids were actually being dropped off early that the teachers forced me forced me to stop doing it. So what I decided to do, I've been hustling my whole life. So I'll tell you what, um, I would like to DJ outside then during lunch. So try that a little bit. Too hot to dance out there, warping the record. So that didn't quite work out. So the negotiation that we had was that when we had the sweetheart dance, the fifth grade sweetheart dance, that I would actually be the DJ for that. So it, it's really funny, man, to think back on that now because that solidification of, of seeing myself on a flyer in fifth grade, I uh, didn't even have a DJ name, they just had literally my name as <laughs> the DJ. Um, that was the first time that I ever had someone say that, you know, that, you know, my actual name is Rob, that Rob is the DJ. Um, and, and it just was, it, that bug bit me at that point. So it was from that point that I started, you know, doing talent shows. And then I got lucky, there was a teen club in my city and um, just happened to ask one of the promoters, uh, to even think about promoters, I think of the owner of this, I say promoter loosely, um, if I could just have an opportunity to play for half an hour. 
And that turned into something, man, that, that uh, became a weekly for me at 15. You know, I'm not even at that point legal to be in an actual club, the teen club scene. I don't even know if they to have those. It was really where I got my start. And, and, and anyone who's ever been a DJ and remembers, remembers their origins, they know that that is a drug. Once you get that first hit, it's on from there. Wow, man, that's super exciting. From second grade doing school parties and dances, like that is truly amazing because like at second grade, no one is thinking about, you know, entertaining and, and DJing and, and, and being responsible for the happiness and the excitement of these events for your peers. Like that had to be super exciting at the same time, just super kind of nerve wracking, just, you know, all the attention and just all the, you know, opportunity you had to meet and know people, you probably were pretty popular. How did that kind of help you as, you know, got into, you know, at the age of 15, you you know, did your first club. Like, how did that confidence or kind of lead your path into this whole DJ career and your ability to really, you know, you know, grow into your name, you know, superstar DJ Rose? You've, you've done amazing stuff in your, in your history as a DJ, and we're going to go into that. But, like, how did that kind of early introduction to the industry lead into your ability to succeed in that space? Well, well, one thing is fifth grade, not just second grade. That would have been awesome in second grade. <laughs> but uh, at, at the end of the day, this is the one thing I discovered. It's that the DJ or the guy who had the best music or the current music had power. Like, I realized that quick because if I came to school early to play records, and, and that made other people want to get to school early to hear me play records, and then girls kind of moved a little differently towards me because I had records and I was, you know, kind of like the Pied Piper, you know, playing these records and people in there having a good time. I, I learned the power of the DJ, even though I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stream it that way. But as I look back, I literally learned the power of the DJ early in that regard. And now, in regards to building confidence, I, I would say that if we're going to talk about confidence, that's how I would frame that part of it. But the most important thing is that going forward. The anxiety of will I get it right, get this set right um, this time, you know, because you basically you're only as good as your last set. That's the way that I always have looked at it. So that that tightrope way of looking at things always kept me on my toes. So it was the one thing of like seeing the power and having the music and being able to move people with the music, but then the other thing was the anxiety of like, yo, can I do it again? You know, and I still, you know, even though I technically uh, retired from nightclub DJing last year because of COVID. I still carry that same butterflies in my stomach. Can I conquer this crowd? Literally to this day. And I think that that's healthy because that, that makes you have an appreciation for this art and, and the ability to go out there and do it night after night, club after club, person after person, festival after festival, set after set. Yeah, I agree with that, that completely, man. I feel like if you're not a little bit scared, you're not challenging yourself enough. And it's always 100%. important for you to, to keep yourself going and keep elevating yourself. Don't stay stagnant. So I'm glad that you're still getting that today. And you've been on some amazing stages. You've been partnering and working with some amazing people. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the progression from 15 and doing your first, you know, nightclub, you know, teen nightclub and going into the, the different worlds of, of DJing and, and your entire journey. So talk to us a little bit about that progression. Absolutely. Uh, I think that probably the, the largest milestone after the 15-year-old entering the club thing was uh, being 19 years old and becoming the youngest program director of a, a radio station in Virginia history. I was going to college in Virginia at the time. What ended up happening, it was a station called WTOI and uh, kind of, you know, went to high school in Virginia. And so I, I was familiar with WTOI coming up. And what was so cool about 
that particular um, scenario is that I did the puffy thing. Like when uh, Andre Harrell left and, and Puff came in and said, yo, man, I can do this. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's kind of, even though he didn't really necessarily have a resume, but he had the hustle and, and the trust spot to say, yo, I, I believe that I can step into this situation with some A&R where they make things happen. And um, I did the same thing. Like the, the, the program director left and, and I just approached and I said, hey, this is who I am. I'm a DJ. And, and I like the opportunity to uh, actually come in, you know, and I had my ideas and my, my affairs in order in regards to how I wanted to pitch. I've always been good about that. So I got a chance to actually come in and not only be uh, a weekend DJ, but I got a chance to also, when that program director left, move up to the program director position and, and really take that station in a new direction with youth and and and, uh, and basically hustle. So I took us from uh, second to last to second. <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's amazing to not even have the background of radio, but I just had a good ear and a good feel for what people were into. So doing radio and learning how to talk to people in that manner when you couldn't see them and they just had to interact with you by the things they played and the things that you said, probably was the greatest um, jump for me because that brought all the worlds together. I had a mix show, uh, I had a quiet storm, I had a gospel show, uh, you know, I had a talk show. I did a little bit of everything. So when we say DJ, DJ means disc jockey. So disc jockey is not just someone who's on a mixtape or someone who's in a club, but that's literally, you know, I've been fortunate that I've got a chance to kind of navigate the entire universe. So I would say radio was probably the thing that springboarded me towards everything else because I got a chance to talk to celebrities. So I no longer had any trepidation about being around famous people. So moving on later on in my life, when it came down to actually, you know, working with Beyonce or working with Christina Milian or working with Pop, you know, and a bunch of other people, I wasn't, I wasn't tripping off the fact that these people were famous. Like, like I had kind of had my my taste of that. So, the great thing about it for me, D, once you get a chance to take a gamble, you know, the fifth grade dancers gamble, take the records to school, and then when they tell you to stop, negotiate a better situation. When you know, I'm a weekend jock at the radio station gospel show that's that's the funny thing i wasn't even mixing that was just like a, a gospel jock program director leaves i said hey i like to give it a shot you know hustle uh being daring that is basically been the thing that is um basically flavored my career man so at this point i just always wanted to look for the next challenge and i'm still in that you know all these years later 30 some years later i'm still in that same mindset what's next yeah, man, that's super important. And I want to dive deeper into kind of how you got into the opportunities to meet and work with Puff and Beyonce and some of these amazing people you got the opportunity. Like DJs that are listening to this are probably, you know, somewhere in their journey where they're trying to figure out what's my next move or how do I get to that next level of success within this industry? Can you talk about, you know, what strategies you use to kind of work your way into those relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one of the things that I reference in, in the book. Um, the most important thing that I have learned was two. The first thing is, and, and you've heard this, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. So the thing about being in love with wanting to be a dope DJ, that's a very solitary exercise. You spend a lot of time in the basement and in the bedroom with the music and the equipment trying to figure out how, how to make those two talk to each other. That's a very, very important step in your journey as a DJ because if you solidify your skill set doing that first before seeking to be famous, because you got to understand, I come from the era where you had to be dope to be known, right? In this area, you could be known and, and kind of learn to be dope afterwards because of social media. And that, that's unfortunate. But, but back to the narrative. So 
the most important thing for me, man, was, was being ready. But then the other thing is, and this is so important, and if no one takes any note from anything I say today, let me take this. Your network literally is everything. Because everything that I mentioned from Puff to Beyonce to the Carters to Christina Milian, every single one of those things, someone who knew that I was dope put me on. Like, you know, like say for instance, excuse the Christina Milian situation. So her DJ couldn't make some shows for some reason. She already had a DJ before me. And her security guard, who was actually traveling with her, her bodyguard was actually a friend of mine who was a security guard at a club that I was a resident at. So when the DJ couldn't make it, he was like, yo, I've got the perfect person you need to talk to. Hits me on the phone, puts me on the phone with him. Well, you know what, I'm out in San Francisco, do the first show. And the thing is, I'm, the way I, my, my attitude is this, I'm a warrior. You can't get out of the seat let me sit in it and then expect to get the seat back. Like, you know, like that's just not the way it works. So if I knew that something happened in the way that you had that seat and now you're not holding it and I get a chance to occupy it, I'm holding that seat. So I went and killed the first show, made a pitch to the, again, pitch, made a pitch to the to, to Christina and her mom, who was a manager, and wound up being the, the DJ. And not only the DJ, but again, negotiation, went to the music director. So the most important thing that I would tell anyone in regards to moving towards those things. Because I didn't know that I was gonna work with Beyonce. I had a similar situation with that. I didn't know I was gonna work with Puff. I had a similar situation with that. Didn't know I was gonna work with Chris. I keep going on and on. Um, you have to be good to people in this, in this industry, in your industry, because you never know that security guard or that promoter, they, end up, they might end up being the vice president of Warner Brothers Music. You just never know where so much trajectory is gonna wind up. So the way I look at it is keep your hands clean and stay prepared because literally who you know is how far you'll go. Wow, no, that's really amazing, man. And you brought up a really great point where you have to stay ready so you don't get have to get ready. And opportunity comes and goes. And if you're not ready for those opportunities to be capitalized on when they're in front of you, you might miss your shot. And you have made yeah. sure that every time the opportunity came your way, you were ready and you took advantage of them and you were able to succeed in those opportunities. So kudos to you for doing that. And, and thank you for dropping insight on, you know, how you were able to navigate these waters and build relationships that got you to those next stages within your career. Because um, most DJs don't don't really understand how important that relationship building process is. It's really how you build your brand. It's really how you build your business as a DJ by building meaningful connections with other people, other influential people in the area. And then also people that may not seem influential, but just are people that are well-connected. You know, it's super important. Like you said, the security guard, like who knew that he would eventually have that connection with those people? It's like, right. you have to one, just be a good person in general. And two, just be able to capitalize on those relationships when the time comes. 100%. You know, what, one of the things that I'll share with you, man, um, my favorite chapter, and I know we haven't talked about the book, but just foreshadow. My favorite chapter in the book that I have coming called How to Be a Million Dollar DJ is the art of falling off. And this is going to be the exact opposite of what you and I just talked about. So one thing that I had to learn the hard way, and every single DJ who's ever been really hot at some point learns as well, is that all of us have a winter. Every single one of us, every single, and, and honestly, it's not just in a DJ culture. I think that this, that permeates, you know, sports, uh, you know, modeling, you know, you name it. Um, the, you can be super hot and then one day you're not. And it really happens in the DJ industry because every, everyone's on the come up. 
So while you're having your moment, your, your summer, there are a bunch of people that are watching you and they're learning and they're modeling things that you've done and they're coming up behind you. Some of them actually introduce themselves and you know that they're on the radar and some of them you don't know at all, you know? And the great thing about the chapter of the art of falling off and, and experiencing that two times in my career is my greatest success came right after my crash every single time. And, you know, that's something that, you know, hopefully you and I can do another chapter. We can literally talk about that, like the whole, the whole time, because you can be ready, you can keep your hands clean, you can be a good person, you can be talented, all of those things, but you can still fall off. You know, it happens. <laughs> Everybody gets cold at some point if you stay in the game long enough, you know what I mean? And it, it, it's important, and I love the fact that you have this platform where DJs can actually hear other DJs talk about their journeys, because that is something I want people to make sure that they put into their, their uh, toolbox as well. Prepare for the winters. Yeah, man. I think that being able to be ready for the ups and downs, not just physically, not just financially, but emotionally, um, is super important because, you know, optimism is amazing. I'm a super optimist and I, heard, I highly encourage other people to be optimists, but you have to be understanding that there will be ups and downs and be able to take those hits when they come. Um, so that way yeah. you can spring, springboard and come right back up and, and, and reach, you know, those peaks that, that you mentioned. I want to talk about your book a bit. Um, and we could definitely do more um, talks about this book specifically, but tell, give us a little introduction, brief introduction about the book and kind of tell us why, what motivated you to, to write this book. Yeah, I love to talk about this because um, the end product is not what the beginning product was. <laughs> so uh, if, for those of you who don't know, I actually have uh, a DJ business book coming out later on this year called How to Be a Million Dollar DJ. Uh, I've been working on this book casually for about 10 years now, um, going into the 11th year. And, and you know, people hear that as a guy who doesn't take 10 years to write a book, but uh, you have to understand, I was writing it as a hobby as I was touring. So I wasn't serious about it. And as a matter of fact, the, its earliest incarnation was called DJ Incorporated. Now, I'll explain what that was. DJ Incorporated was me literally interviewing Jazzy Jeff or, you know, DJ Vice or Data Guy or people that I'm friends with and getting their, like, basically their DJ bio, you know, like how they got started and, you know, what successful tips they had and things of that nature. So I, I, get, I get all these interviews from DJs from all over the place. And uh, one day, I'll never forget this, one day I was reading through it and I was, and I thought to myself, nobody's going to want to read this. Like, who cares? I mean, this is stuff that you can Google and literally find out most of this information in regards to their bios and how they got started and where they're from. Who cares? But what I noticed was all the success tips that were there were vital for people who were either, you know, not as successful, been in the game for a long time, brand new to the game, and wanted to learn how to do it the right way from the beginning. All of these tips were basically the core of what this book should be about. And that's when it went from being DJ Incorporated to how to be a million dollar DJ. Now me, I'm a huge uh, fan of the 48 Laws of Power and the Art of War and things of that nature. So what I decided to do is to go back and refashion the book as basically a how-to. Um, and, and just to be frank with people, there's two things that I think are vital about, about this. The first thing is this. I wanted to have something that I wish I would have had. So, you know, I have every DJ book that's ever been written, literally, and they all are terrible. 
because they either try to tell you the history of DJing and again, nobody cares, or they try to tell you how to DJ from a book, which you can't do. So those books to me are very ineffective. Here's the difference between those and how to be a million dollar DJ. So name me a business book that you literally can pick up the phone, call the author and say, hey, yo, I'm looking at chapter 25. And I kind of feel like it could apply to me, but I don't know how to apply it. You know, do you have a chance to, to, for us to talk um, about how I could use this information? And that's where I think my book is singular because the ability for a DJ to literally reach the author, uh, you know, I post my, you've seen me do it. I post my number basically every week on my social media and I tell people I'm 24 seven and I mean it. You can reach out and literally you have someone that's in the industry who has accomplished a lot, who, who has his finger on the pulse, who has his eye on the culture, who's really willing to help, you know, and, and that is to me what makes How to Be a Million Dollar DJ so different, so special and so singular. And I'm really proud of it because it's one of those things that it allows me to continually have a presence in the culture and to leave something behind that can be beneficial to other people. Very important to me. Oh, that's amazing, man. And can't wait for this book to be released and to be able to share it out with our audience because uh, this is something that they need. You know, how to be a main DJ. That is an important or an astounding milestone. And the fact that you're dropping dimes and giving this out to people in a very easy and digestible way and actionable way that they can actually follow. Um, it's super amazing for any DJ or aspiring DJ that, that want to get into the business or level up their current um, DJ business. So super excited about that. Uh, I want to jump into kind of where we're at right now. COVID-19 has really affected the DJ industry and entertainment in general. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how COVID has affected you. I know you said that, you know, you pretty much um, retired from club DJing uh, because of the pandemic. Um, but tell me about some of the things that you're doing now to kind of cope with the current environment. Where do you think that things are going in the future? Yeah, I, I love the fact that we can talk about this. So, you know, one of the things that's been important, you know, it, it, it's sometimes it's a little hard to talk about this, but, but I think it's vital in the situation. So. I was scheduled for my first headlining career tour, uh, top of 2020. And we were getting ready for that, headed over to Seoul, and I was going to be able to work with some K-pop artists as well. So not just DJ, uh, but also kind of, you know, ingraining myself in Korea and really kind of working on building out a new uh, a new market for myself. Then COVID hits them first. It hits them before it hits the United States. So my career tour is canceled. Then everything from my, uh, my U.S. tour, uh, because we got hit afterwards, everything here got canceled. Then add another tour right after that, Brazil. Brazil gets it. Everything's canceled. So I'm sitting down like, okay, what now? And, 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 and that's really the catalyst for the book being released because I had these notes for, for two years, as I mentioned, and I really had kind of just been sitting on them really casual about it. And I realized that this is the first time in the history of, 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 of ever where every DJ on the planet literally had to sit down at the same time. So. I felt like at that point, the book became like, if I feel like the universe is saying, Rob, now, you know, do it now. Um, and then that's where the classes uh, stem from to actually bring the book to life. Now, talking about COVID for DJs, there's a few, there's a few things that I think are important. The first thing is, is that even though live streaming has been around forever, DJs had to come back and take a fresh look at it. D-Nice really kind of popped the, the cork on that, man. It really showed DJs how... You can change your career, literally change your life by what you can do via your phone and giving it out to the world. That's that is so incredible, man. Like with, with you know, all of us should tip our hats. We owe a huge gratitude, gratitude, uh, <laughs> gratitude. Let me say it the right way. Uh, I'm in the office. I got my dog in the office. She's acting a fool, but um, 
what D Nice did was so revolutionary, man, and it was so simple and so pure. This man was broadcasting to the world from his kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we as DJs we get so cynical um, that we don't see the beauty in something so simple. And that was to me when you I was in the room when he broke the record of 160,000 people uh, watching at the same time. Cello Bob was popping in, Barack's popping in, Bernie Sanders is popping in. It's just something that we've never seen before. Literally, it's a virtual club. Everybody invited it. Everybody VIP, and we're all interacting in the chats. And what that showed me was is that our business has a future that we never anticipated. You know, and it's one of the reasons I tip my hat to you because. I clearly noticed that you caught wind of what D did too, and you saw it as the as an opportunity, and you saw it as a revolution. And 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 I'm so happy to be, you know, affiliated with you and where the future of this goes. But back to the narrative. Um, as far as where we go from here, what I try to encourage my students, and I get free game out on my Instagram. So if you, if you haven't followed me, IamRose.com. Please follow me on Instagram. Um, I try to get DJs to understand that this new normal might be kind of sexy, you know, and the fact that you can become a, a global brand from your phone, from your bedroom, from your kitchen, from your basement, you know, there's something about that that I think all of us should be looking at and doing the Rubik's Cube thing where we turn it every way we can to line those those squares up to figure out what this masterpiece is going to look like at the end. So, yes, I couldn't tour the way that I wanted to, but what happens is, is out of that, now my book's coming out. Out of that, now I launched a class to teach DJs from all over the world. Out of that, I took myself back to the recording studio. I'm now recording an album I never thought I needed, but never thought I wanted. And now it's one of the greatest experiences of my DJ career to actually be ready to put out an album later on this year. So that long-witted soliloquy was to say, yes, we can sit around and we can bemoan and we can mourn what we have lost, you know, things we lost in the fire. Or we can say, okay, so it's not what it was. Now, what can it be? So for any DJ who's listening, who I know who, your money's a little funnier, and, and I know that you don't get the endorphins of being in front of the club, people that you used to get in this environment. I just want to say this to you. Yeah, I get that. But don't spend all your time mourning. Look around and see what's next and what's possible and move forward. Wow, man, that's a powerful statement, man. And I appreciate your insight and, and your ability to articulate, you know, what's going on right now and how TJ should power through this. Uh, we're going to take this time to jump right into the lightning round. Are you ready? Yeah, that's right. Describe your DJ setup, hardware and so software. Oh, <laughs> they're really going to laugh at me on this. Um, so I don't use Serato and I don't use um, uh, Native Instruments anymore. What I have done is going back to the essence. I show up at a club with uh, mix. Well, I show up at a club with my rider. My rider says two CDJ, two thousands, uh, Pioneer mixer, Rain mixer. I don't really care about the mixer that much. Uh, as long as the CDJs are linked and I can pop my thumb drives in, I'm ready to rock. Besides yourself, who's your favorite DJ? Just one, or can I name a few? You can name a few. Okay, cool. Um, Jazzy Jeff. That'd be crazy if I didn't say Jazzy Jeff. My, my DJ hero of all time, the immortal Jazzy Jeff. Uh, um, sorry, uh, the immortal uh, J Master J, Grandmaster D from Houdini, 
still one of my favorites, Mixmaster Ice and UTFO. I know I'm going old school, but, but these are the people who are my foundation. Uh, Grandmaster Flash, um, really love Mark Ronson. I love what Mark Ronson does. What has been your favorite party or event that you've DJed at and why? <laughs> 100,000 people in the Red Square in Moscow. Why? Because someone told me to say something in Russia, in Russian, and I said it. can't remember what it was, but everybody put their hands up when I said it. And just the power of being in front of that many people and getting them to respond to something that I was doing on stage. This one black boy from, from Brooklyn. Um, it was life-changing. Life-affirming. Let me say that. It was life-affirming. What's one thing that you hate about live streaming as a DJ? Cash apps. Shout out DJs you know personally whose story needs to be shared on this podcast. Oh, um, DJ Goddess Strut. Love what she's doing. She's uh, one of my students and she's a hustler and she's talented and, and she's uh, she's she's a future with comes down to female DJs. Um, DJ B.O.D., Scratch DJ here in Atlanta. Super dope. Huge future ahead of him. Um, DJ Antidote from the West Coast. Um, he, he's got some really special things going on with him. DJ Hear No Evil. Um, he's a DJ that has, you know, I hate to say hard of hearing, but that is actually uh, what they prefer rather than death. Uh, to be as dope as he is, a battle DJ, a battle champion DJ, who's actually hard of hearing. It's just amazing. So those are those are four DJs. I absolutely say people need to work to know about. Where can people find you online or even in person if you're still doing events? Cool. So I'm not going to be live for a while, man. I'm not DJing in a mask. It's not my thing. I, I applaud everybody who's doing it as you should be doing it. DJing in a mask. I'm just not going to do it. So live is not going to be a thing. Uh, where I tell everyone to follow me right now is Instagram. That's my main hub. It's I am Rose. I-A-M-R-O-S. Um, the IamRose.com website will be <clears throat> back up soon because we're actually retooling it for the album. Uh, the album and the book and, and everything else I'm doing this year. So we kind of didn't want to keep the same content that we had before. So IamRose.com will be back online probably in about three months right before the album. We're building it out now. So I would just tell people follow me on Instagram right now, IamRose, uh, and look out for IamRose.com. Awesome, brother. Hey, we appreciate you coming on to the My DJ Story podcast. You have just listened to Amazing Story by superstar DJ Rose, who is an advisor of the club app. Brother, we really appreciate everything that you do for us and what you're doing in the DJ industry. My man, yo, thank you so much. It was an honor, man. And I'm telling everyone who's listening, if you haven't signed up for In The Club app, you have to do it. It is the future of streaming for DJs. I promise you that I don't say that loosely. I don't get paid to say that. It literally is the future. Be an early adopter. Do that today. Are you a DJ? Well, we want to hire you as one of our official, The Club Virtual DJs. We've been working hard to source hundreds of paid virtual gigs, and we need DJs of all kinds that are interested in getting paid to curate virtual events for our clients. Whether you're a new DJ, just getting started, or a veteran in the game, we have paid gig opportunities for you. Text I'm in to 609-201-1027 to get notified for paid gig opportunities from the club. Tell a friend. We look forward to working with you. Now back to the podcast.